Hello and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Muscle for Life. I'm Mike Matthews and thank you for joining me today. Now, I have recorded hundreds of episodes of Muscle for Life and I've talked about a huge variety of things related to health, fitness, lifestyle, mindset, ranging from the basics of diet and exercise like energy and macronutrient balance and progressive overload and training frequency and volume to fads like the ketogenic and carnivore diet and collagen protein to more unfamiliar territories like body weight set point and fasted cardio. And some episodes resonate with my crowd more than others, but all of them contain at least a few key takeaways that just about anyone can benefit from. At least that's what I tell myself. That's what helps me sit down in the chair every day and do this. And as cool as that is, it poses a problem for you, my dear listener, especially if you are new here. And that is, ain't nobody got time for that. We're talking about probably a thousand plus hours of content at this point. And while some people actually do make the time to listen to most or even all of my podcasts, my whizbang analytics tell me that while many listeners tune in on a regular basis, they don't catch every installment of Muscle for Life, and thus they miss out on insights that could help them get even just a little bit better inside and outside the gym. Because if you just get a little bit better consistently enough, that can add up to big results in the long run. And people have also been telling me that they would like me to do more shorter, multi-topic episodes like my Q&As and Says You episodes. And so I got an idea. How about a best of series of podcasts that contains a few of the most practical and compelling ideas, tips, and moments from my most popular episodes, going all the way back to the beginning. This way, people who are new in particular can quickly determine if this is the droid they're looking for, if this podcast is for them or not. And then those who are regulars and enjoy what I'm doing, but just don't have the time or inclination to listen to all of my stuff, and I do understand that. I don't take it personally. <laughs> you can also then benefit from the discussions and the episodes that you are not listening to in full. And you can also find new episodes to listen to without having to give an hour of your time to determine whether it was worth it or not. So here we are with the best of Muscle for Life. And in this episode, you will be hearing hand-picked morsels from three episodes. Lane Norton on how to avoid and overcome weightlifting injuries, yours truly, on how to change your body weight set point, and Mike Matthews again on advice I would give to my younger self. Also, if you like what I'm doing here on the podcast and elsewhere, definitely check out my VIP one-on-one -on -one coaching service because my team and I have helped people of all ages and all circumstances lose fat, build muscle, and get into the best shape of their life faster than they ever thought possible. And we can do the same for you. We make getting fitter, leaner, and stronger paint by numbers simple by carefully managing every aspect of your training and your diet for you. Basically, we take out all of the guesswork, so all you have to do is follow the plan and watch your body change day after day, week after week, and month after month. What's more, we've found 
that people are often missing just one or two crucial pieces of the puzzle. And I'd bet a shiny shekel it's the same with you. You're probably doing a lot of things right, but dollars to donuts, there's something you're not doing correctly or at all that's giving you the most grief. Maybe it's your calories or your macros. Maybe it's your exercise selection. Maybe it's your food choices. Maybe you're not progressively overloading your muscles, or maybe it's something else. And whatever it is, here's what's important. Once you identify those one or two things you're missing, once you figure it out, that's when everything finally clicks. That's when you start making serious progress. And that's exactly what we do for our clients. To learn more, head over to www.buylegion.com. That's B-U-Y-Legion.com slash VIP and schedule your free consultation call, which by the way, is not a high pressure sales call. It's really just a discovery call where we get to know you better and see if you're a good fit for the service. And if you're not for any reason, we will be able to share resources that'll point you in the right direction. So again, if you appreciate my work and if you want to see more of it, and if you also want to finally stop spinning your wheels and make more progress in the next few months than you did in the last few years, check out my VIP coaching service at www.buylegion.com slash VIP. Okay, let's start with the takeaways from the first episode, which is Lane Norton on how to avoid and overcome weightlifting injuries. And this episode was posted June 12th, 2017. So if you like what you hear here and you want to go listen to the full interview, you can just go back to June 2017 in my feed and find it. What about what about related things related to recovery? So because there's also there's a lot of talk and a lot of speculation on just overtraining and what what is at what point what is overtraining even is it even real blah 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 we don't have to dive into that per se but I think recovery is something that's a bit more uh, it's a bit easier to talk about and there are definitely symptoms I, I mean and I know this just from talking with people that symptoms of where they're not like they haven't de- let's say they haven't deloaded in a while there's a point where we all get there if you push yourself there are yeah. things you can objectively well, it is subjective, but it's pretty obvious. You can go, cool, this is this is what I'm, even if you're not looking at heart rate variability, if you're not getting fancy about it, um, point, that point where you're like, I'm no longer, I need, I need, I need to take break. I need to, you know, take a week off or deload for a week, or, you know, I'm just not recovering. Maybe it's not sleeping enough. The reason why it could be something else, but anything to add on that in terms of just symptoms of under recovering? I think if you're always having high RPEs, you know, very high rate of perceived effort, um, even with weights that you should be relatively easy. I think if you're getting some some decrements in strength, um, you know, even though your training volume is high, if you're like soreness that just kind of rolls from one workout into another, mm. you know, and doesn't seem to have any kind of catch up, um, if you're feeling worn down constantly. But it, all those are very subjective, you know, like yeah. there was a, somebody posted something the other day, they were like, do you feel like your physique looks better in the morning? Do you get tired in the mid-afternoon? Do you feel like you're dragging through the day, you know, this and that? And then Bob said, good, you're normal. Like, <laughs> like that, like you should feel that way. That's how most people feel. Right. Like it doesn't mean you have adrenal fatigue right. or all these other, you know, things that people make up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, because at a certain point, like, I had somebody like, oh, yeah, I've just been training really hard and I'm tired all the time, this and that. I'm like, well, couldn't you just be tired all the time because you're training really hard? 
Yeah. Like, has that ever crossed your mind? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, people say, oh, you know, when you exercise, you have so much energy. And it's like, well, yeah, I think if you're like recreationally exercising. I like, think the keyword there is exercise. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're not like doing like a training. 12 week overreaching. Yeah. Training. There's a difference between exercise and training, right. you know, like, um, yeah, when you're doing like a 12 week overreaching powerlifting cycle, like you are going to feel like garbage by the end. Like it's going to suck. Like I remember three weeks out from raw nationals in 2014, I was supposed to go in and do like deadlift singles with 660 and my best pull is 705. So really it's going to be difficult, but it shouldn't be that bad. And it was like the most awful experience I've ever had in the gym. Like it was taking me like five seconds for the bar to break the floor, you know, like it was just, it was just, it was taking me like 15 minutes in between each, in between each single because I was just like having to be like, come on, you know, like it was just so terrible yeah. feeling, you know, yeah. but then I got to the meet and I did great, you know, cause wow. you, you taper like when yeah. you, when you, and that's the point is like overreaching is different than overtraining. Overtraining is a chronic condition. That, that's but I, most, as far as I know, it's hard to really do. I mean, you have it's to really, really hard. Most of people who lift weights are not going to get there because it's people who do that are like triathletes and people who just train with enormous amounts of training volume. Yeah. You know, um, uh, us weightlifters like to think we're tough, but at the end of the day, like you're in the gym, like an hour, two hours, three hours. Yeah. Resting, a few, are, resting half the time is resting. Yeah. Anyway. More than half the time is yeah. resting. Yeah. These guys are training like all day. You know what I mean? And yeah, the, it's just, I think, and the notion that you can overtrain to the point where you have like – where it causes you to lose muscle mass, that's just never been shown. Mm-hmm. Like it's just never been shown, never been demonstrated. I think you can start to see performance decrements where your strength goes down in the short term. Yeah. But like I said, if you – I mean for powerlifting, we, we, we like purposely do that. You know, We like purposely overtrain or overreach. And then a week away from the meet, we we taper and we super compensate, and you get a, like a it's like a rubber band effect, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just understanding the differences between uh, I feel bad, I feel a little bad, versus just chronically being beaten down. Um, okay, so now let's shift gears to, and this is where some of I mean what you've been dealing with in the last year and a half or so um, is, is going to be very relevant. So an injury has occurred, and this this isn't discomfort. This is an actual injury. Um, how have you gone about working around it? Um, and even, I mean, I, I just know again from talking to people, even getting, just having it explained that it's one that it's not just because you got hurt doesn't, again, like you were saying, if we look at it statistically, uh, if you do this for long enough, something is, is going to happen. Um, right. you don't have to go in the gym every day thinking about it, but just, you know, don't, well, the point is it doesn't necessarily mean that you were being stupid or doing anything particularly wrong. Uh, Sometimes shit just happens. Exactly. So there's the, don't, don't get down on yourself of like, oh, I fucked this up and it's just cause I'm, I'm bad at this or whatever. Um, so there's that, that is encouraging just to know, okay, so this happened and shouldn't be particularly surprised that this happened. Maybe even yep. you could have done something to prevent it from happening. Okay, fine. Um, but now going from here, you talked a bit about what has helped in terms of seeing a good sports doctor, which I think is great advice. Um, but now in the gym, how have you uh, how have you kind of worked around some of the injuries that you've run into? And are there any kind of like general lessons that can be kind yeah, of... Yeah, I mean, I, I try to look for exercises that I can substitute that are close 
that will allow me to maintain more of my adaptation, more of my strength, more of my muscle. Mm-hmm. And uh, how has that, that played out specifically? Because what? So you've had you've run into some hip issues, uh, some uh, yep, some lower back, lower back, yeah. and some and, and cervical spine. Yeah. Okay. So for me, like um, the squatting in particular, like uh, when I was getting ready for Worlds in 2015, like. 12 weeks out, I really started having some lower back issues and I kept trying to work through them, kept trying to work through them and it just got to the point where I just couldn't work through them anymore. I decided to take three weeks off of squats and I just did leg press, you know, because leg press did not aggravate my lower back injury. Was leg press as good as squats? No, but it was better than doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So I did leg press for three weeks, um, you know, with the same or similar volume and intensity as I would on squatting and, um, you know, when I went back to squatting, yes, I was weaker, but I hadn't lost that much. Mm-hmm. So by substituting that exercise, I was able to keep more of my more of my adaptation. Um, but I, my rule is like if there's any pain after like like an a- actual acute injury, if, if I try to substitute something and there's any pain, I don't do it. You know, like find it. Like when find I, something when I you tore, want something that just feels good. That's what you're looking yeah, for. I tore my pec and I re- had it repaired and everything. You better believe I wasn't in there being like, oh, I can probably do some pec flies or whatever. Like, no way. Like, yeah. I didn't even yeah. – you baby that thing, you know. But, yeah. Um, yeah, like the hip injury, like I tried to keep squatting. And it was just any hip movement at all, leg press, whatever. It didn't matter. Like, um, that just hurt. The only thing that didn't hurt was leg extensions and leg curls. So I did leg extensions and leg curls, yeah. you know. I was going to ask on that for the squatting. Did you also add some some hamstring stuff in that didn't bother you? Yeah, so and then like glute ham raises, those sorts of things, yeah. you know. Um, I did a lot of uh, good mornings, you know, because that's a little bit, you know, well, if you talk to the internet, that's why I do anyway for squats. So, um, but you know, that's that's at least because because you because you you're low bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same. No, I know. That's just what's comfortable to me. I don't know. So I've had people like, oh, what the fuck? Why are you why are you so hunched over? Like, yeah. look at look at my shoulders and my hips they're rising at the same that's just how i squat yeah, i mean exactly. I'm, I'm fucking tall and i have like the bar low what do you want from me yeah well I, well like that's the thing like people say well, why don't you high bar squat because you can be more upright i always have to lean forward if i high bar squat same. because now my fulcrum's longer like i just fold over same. Like, i just completely fold that's exactly um, what happens to me yeah so if low bar squat just by moving it down a few inches yeah i start out more forward but i'm able to maintain that position same. you know it's just much more comfortable for me. And, you know, people, I always say, you know, I'm unaware of any good morning where the, the hips go below the knees, but if you ever <laughs> find one, let me know, you know? So, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's another thing is finding the technique that works for you. You know, I, I injured my lower back much more often when I was high bar squatting, mm. you know, and then when I went to low bar, mm. um, it was much better. I was able to lift more weight. So, um, yeah, finding technique that works for you and, um, you know, understanding that, you know, you're an individual, your body type in terms of your structure is an individual and you should try to find what is most comfortable, you know, yeah. and that goes right down to like the shoes you wear, the belt you wear, if you wear a belt, you know, whatever it is, like find what you're most comfortable in. So if you're not able to bench press, uh, I mean, there's an obvious alternative of dumbbell pressing is, has that worked? Like what, what have, what have you done to work around? Like, okay, I got I have to get off the bench for X period of time. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I still do a little bit of bench just because it doesn't. It seems to be the sleep that aggravates it, not the bench press. But okay. um, I'll uh, I'll do more dumbbells, but I'll do a lot of flies actually because flies. So that it's the C six C seven disc, which is to your right tricep, hmm. and so like it's my tricep that's actually weak. Oh, I see. Um, 
And so, like, if I take the tricep out of it like flies, there's almost no difference in strength. So I'll do a lot of flies. How do you like to do? Do you like dumbbell flies or do you like uh, like cable flies? Uh, low, high, mostly, mid. Mostly cable. And do you mostly like cable? And then do you, where do you like in terms of position? Do you like low? Do you like medium, high? Usually me- medium or high. Okay. Yeah. And I'll just like my gym's old school. It only has the high one, so I just kind of bend over a little more. And oh, okay. Get the angle. Do it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because that's going to be, it's not obviously a press but it's 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 something you know you can maintain your your hypertrophy and then hopefully when you come back it's more of just a neural adaptation of getting to learn the movement again okie dokie that's it for lane norton on how to avoid and overcome weightlifting injuries again that episode was posted back in june of 2017 in case you want to go back and listen to the whole thing let's move on to the next episode that we are going to be highlighting in this episode of best of and that is how to change your body weight set point this was a monologue from me posted back in september of 2018 so if you like the takeaways I've chosen for you, you should definitely go listen to the full episode because you're going to learn a lot more. All right. So let's start with the body weight set point theory. Because this is a theory. What is this theory? Well, the theory is that the body uses hormones, hunger, behavior changes, and other physiological mechanisms to defend a certain range of body weight and body fat in particular. So a simple way to think of this is as a thermostat or a cruise control system for body weight and for body fat levels. Whatever numbers are set are what your body strives to maintain. Now there's plenty of animal research to support this theory. For example, if you starve a rat, its metabolism starts to slow down, its appetite increases, it starts to naturally move less to conserve energy. Then if you give it free access to food, it quickly will eat its way back to its starting weight and then tend to settle there. Now on the flip side, uh, if you force feed a rat to fatten it up, The opposite occurs. Metabolic rate and activity levels increase and appetite decreases, and it quickly returns to its starting weight. Now, research shows that us humans have at least similar mechanisms in place to maintain preferred weight ranges and preferred body compositions, again, particularly body fatness. But Unfortunately, we are not wired the same way as rats. We are not big rats. Our bodies run on an asymmetrical system of body weight regulation that defends against weight loss more than weight gain. If only that were not true. If only were the other way around, right? If only our body would easily give up weight loss and defend more against weight gain. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And this is the reason why, for most people at least, it is much harder to lose weight and and to keep it off than it is to gain it and keep it on. And this is also why people tend to get fatter over time and not leaner. How do we influence our body weight settling point for the better? Let's talk diet. So if you are listening to another podcast, this is where I would preach about the transformative powers of clean eating or 
paleo or keto or low carb or whatever, uh, some other type of restrictive diet, fad diet, right? Well, uh, good thing you're here and you're not there because I have better news for you. The best diet for maintaining a low body fat set point is simply one that is best for maintaining a state of neutral energy balance. In other words, diets that promote overeating are bad for both your body weight and your body weight set point, and diets that promote a balance between your energy in and your energy out are good for them. So how does that play out practically? Well, one thing you should know is that research shows that it is easier to overeat on a high fat diet. And also obesity rates are greater among high fat dieters than low fat dieters. And that's uh, not surprising when you consider how calorie dense fats are. And in many people, they're not very filling either. Protein and carbohydrate is much more filling. So unless you're going to strictly regulate your calories, you know, plan or track, you can assume that a high fat diet is going to be a rest recipe for a higher body weight set point. I mean, remember what I just said a few minutes ago about uh, 100 extra calories per day is all it takes to slowly and steadily gain weight. And in terms of fats, that's that's a tablespoon of olive oil, just a tablespoon of olive oil above energy expenditure per day, and you will gain weight over time. Additionally, there's evidence that a low fat, high carbohydrate diet is an effective way to actually normalize and stabilize body weight set points. And this is at least partially due to the facts that carbohydrates are more satiating than dietary fats, which I mentioned, and that's been demonstrated in a number of studies. Carbs tend to discourage overeating more than fats, and the body is particularly good at burning off excess carbohydrate instead of storing it as fat. In fact, carbohydrate is not directly converted into fat through a process known as de novo lipogenesis. That doesn't really occur until carb intake, at least under normal healthy conditions, it doesn't occur until carb intake it has to be sky high. I mean, in one study, I think it took 800 grams of carbs a day for several days for DNL to contribute meaningfully to total body fatness. Carbs contribute most to fat gain by blunting fat oxidation. So when you eat carbs, your body goes, hey, we have this energy readily available. We don't need to burn body fat, of course. We'll just burn this. Uh, and we also don't need to burn any of the dietary fat that was eaten. We'll just store that. And I should mention that the research I just cited is right in line with what I see in my work. Every week, I hear from people who are floundering on a high-fat, low-carb diet who are unable to break through weight loss plateaus, who are struggling with hunger cravings and so forth. And every week I also hear from people that I've saved from the low carb doldrums who are now leaner and feeling better than ever before following a high protein, moderately high carb and moderately low fat diet. All right. So now let's talk about changing your body weight set point. I mentioned some dietary strategies earlier, but there are some more things that I want to share with you. So first let's start with uh, raising it. <laughs> we know how easy it is to raise it, right? So it's just chronic overfeeding. That's all it takes to raise body weight set point, but that's not why you're here. Of course, you want to know how to 
lower it. And that is trickier. It's trickier, but not impossible. It is doable. You should know though that there are no quick fixes. There are no shortcuts or biohacks that are going to get it done. It takes patience. It takes discipline. It takes consistency, but it's not complicated and it's not even particularly hard. And the payoff I think is well worth it because you can maintain low levels of body fat with relative ease. You can develop a resistance, I guess you could say, to fat gain uh, despite bouts of overfeeding, which is helpful for the holidays where you can, you know, kind of cut loose a little bit without causing too much damage. And here's how it's done in a nutshell. So you have to one, reduce your body fat to the desired level, whatever that is for you. And the whole point of lowering your body weight set point, of course, is maintaining a certain level of body fat. That's really what we care about, right? We don't care so much about weight. We care about what we see in the mirror and that's body composition. So the first step, of course, is getting to a low level that you're happy with that can be maintained. Now, for most men, I would say that's probably eight to 10% body fat. Anything lower than that is going to be unsustainable for most everybody. And for women, it's going to be 18 to 20% body fat. And that's also where, in my experience, at least most men and women are happiest. That is where you look athletic, you have abs, uh, you have muscle definition all over your body, and you can eat a fair amount of food and you don't have to develop an eating disorder. So that's point number one, reducing your body fat to the desired level. Point number two is adding muscle to your frame because nothing will help you maintain a low body weight set point like adding a substantial amount of muscle to your body. And you don't have to get fat to do this either. If you're not sure how to do that, head over to muscleforlife.com and search for bulking and read the article I wrote on that, which is really all about lean bulking. And the reason for this is muscle is a metabolically active tissue, meaning that the more muscle you have, the greater your basal metabolic rate is, the greater the amount of energy your body burns at rest is. And the greater your BMR is, the more food you get to eat every day without gaining fat. Additionally, research shows that the more muscle you have, the less fat you gain in response to overeating. And that's big because what that means is the more muscular you are, the less you are punished for eating too much. You have more wiggle room and that works wonders for long-term dietary compliance and long-term body weight maintenance. Because what that means is you get to fairly regularly indulge in some high calorie feasts with little to no consequences. So the key takeaway here is the more muscle you have, the easier it is for you to get and stay lean. All right, that was point number two. Point number three is use your exercise and your diet routines to maintain health and body composition. So as I discussed earlier in this episode, the longer you remain at a given body weight, the easier it becomes to just stay there. That becomes your body's default. And the healthier your body is, the better its hormones are going to support that, to support your efforts to stay lean. 
Okie dokie, that's it for the highlights from how to change your body weight set point. Again, this episode was posted back in September of 2018. Just heard and you want to hear more, go check out the full episode. And let's now move on to the third and final episode that we are going to be featuring here. And that is a Motivation Monday episode I did called Advice I'd Give to My Younger Self. This episode was posted on April 1st, 2019. And no, it was not an April 1st joke, although I should do that one of these years. I always think of it after the fact. Mental note, April 1st, 2021. I'm going to think of something that will hopefully make you laugh. If you like what I'm doing here on the podcast and elsewhere, definitely check out my VIP one-on-one coaching service because my team and I have helped people of all ages and circumstances lose fat, build muscle, and get into the best shape of their life faster than they ever thought possible. And we can do the same for you. Anyway, let's get to the takeaways. This is a Motivational Monday episode. And that means we are starting with a quote. So this one comes from Shirley Chisholm. And she said, service is the rent we pay for the privilege of living on this earth. Now I am 34 years old, so I'm not sure I am quote unquote old enough to do something like this justice just yet. But I definitely know a lot more now than I did in my teens and 20s, and I definitely have experienced some stinging slings and arrows and learned from some major missteps and mistakes. And I'm okay with that. I actually wouldn't have it any other way. You see, there's a a concept in Japanese culture called wabi-sabi, and it represents the beauty of the fleeting, changeable, and imperfect nature of the world around us. And it tells us to not just seek and accept perfection, but learn to appreciate things that are imperfect and incomplete. This, for example, is why the Japanese place value on irregular and cracked kitchenware and why they often fix broken objects with gold. The defects are seen as unique additions to the objects. They're seen as indispensable parts of the object's histories, and they add to their complexity and beauty. To the Japanese, these are the things that most resemble the natural world. And I like to think of myself and my life in the same light. To echo Hemingway, no matter what we do in our lives, the world will always find ways to break us, but that doesn't mean that we can't fix what's broken and create a beautiful life. And that's why I don't care about trying to be perfect so much as trying to be alive, because I think that's what it's really about. So here are the 24 pieces of advice that I'd give to my younger self, and these are in no particular order. Write more books. This is the nucleus of your brand. Don't invest more time or money into something that is clearly not working. Change direction instead and move on. Celebrate the milestones and victories, including the smaller ones. Your team will appreciate it. Study your failures more closely. Dig for the key takeaways. Try not to spread yourself so thin. Moving faster on fewer projects is a smarter way to work. I've definitely learned that one. Except you can't help everybody, and especially those who do not want to be helped. Be nicer. Being quote-unquote right is not enough. Spend more time with your baby son. He's pretty awesome. 
Consider your wife's advice more. She's sharp. Don't let people lie to you because it harms them even more than you. Read more. There is so much to learn. Stop looking at porn. Life is just better without it. Talk things over with people you trust. You do not always know best. Always try to deal with what is not what you wish were. The moment you stop running away from the truth, you wake up. Take a vacation now and then. You've earned it, man. Do not try to fix broken people. Only they can fix themselves. Be more thankful and express it. Have more sex. It's not just fun, but it is also the easiest way to improve your marriage. And there's actually research on that. Science says, fuck, don't fight. Refuse to associate with hypocrites, parasites, and liars. Do not become emotionally entangled with these people or let them bargain with you. Just leave. Don't be generous to a fault because there is a word for that. Sucker. Before doing anything significant, consider all the alternatives you can think of. Your first few ideas are rarely going to be your best. Spend more time formally outlining your goals and plans because you will get to where you want to go faster. Moralize less. It is obnoxious and selfish. And last, have fun. Have as much fucking fun as you can because no amount of money or quote-unquote success is as satisfying. Alrighty, well, that's it for the highlight reel of the advice I'd give to my younger self episode posted on April 1st, 2019. So if you liked the few bits that I chose for you, go check out the full episode. And that's also it for this episode of the best of muscle for life. I hope you liked it. And I hope you will be joining me for the next episode, which is an interview I did with Dr. Spencer Nadalski on thyroid function and body composition, fat loss in particular please do leave a quick review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to me from in whichever app you're listening to me in, because that not only convinces people that they should check out the show, it also increases search visibility and thus it helps more people find their way to me and learn how to get fitter, leaner, stronger, healthier, and happier as well. And of course, if you want to be notified when the next episode goes live, then simply subscribe to the podcast and you won't miss out on any new stuff. And if you didn't like something about the show, please do shoot me an email at mike at muscleforlife.com, just muscle, F-O-R, life.com, and share your thoughts on how I can do this better. I read everything myself and I'm always looking for constructive feedback, even if it is criticism. I'm open to it. And of course, you can email me if you have positive feedback as well, or if you have questions really relating to anything that you think I could help you with, definitely send me an email. That is the best way to get a hold of me, mike at mossfullife.com. And that's it. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I hope to hear from you soon.